0: Sure. quick note about paper girls uh while it totally does match stranger things in many ways it does have r-rated language within it so uh just be mindful if you're going to be recommending this uh to to younger readers i would i would not do that uh it is a great series so if you don't mind the adult language i fully recommend paper girls everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Aaron, Mackenzie, KJ, and Tiffany from the comic book series Paper Girls. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest, Norman Mitchell. Welcome back, Norman. Well,
1: happy to be here and happy to talk about a, a comic I haven't thought about in a while, but I really enjoy it, especially this time of year.
0: Oh, it, it, uh, you know, it's it's going to be set on the day after Halloween, so this is the month for us to be talking about Paper Girls, I think. And also joining us for the discussion is producer Andrew. Yes. This is one of those examples where we had a guest asked to do a comic book series that I was like, I haven't read it. It's been on my radar. I I can get my hands on it. And then Andrew was like, I've read it. I'll join the discussion. (laughs) So you are already prepped. Nice, nice. Norman, like I just said, this is one that you had requested. So what made you want to talk about Paper Girls?
1: So. You had asked me uh, if there was any comics I wanted to talk about, because I si- side note, my my agenda is just constantly to get Joe to talk about anime on the protagonist podcast. So I, I reached out about an anime and you asked for a comic book. And I looked at my shelf and I saw Paper Girls and I had thought about it in a while. And I remember really enjoying it and I kind of wanted an excuse to revisit it. So this was as good as any. And I remember the last few pages of this comic really clearly. So I figured it probably was something interesting to talk about around Halloween
0: uh yeah definitely and w- once you said it i was like perfect because this is one that i've heard discussed on uh podcasts whether you know i fanboy or other comic book podcasts and i also know it had a uh an adaptation that had some some positive buzz it didn't get enough viewers to be renewed for a second season but it did get adapted for a season on um on amazon prime and so uh it never like felt like it was fully in the zeitgeist but it's something that i was kind of aware of and definitely had been wanting to get to and so this was an excellent excuse i did not realize how perfectly thematically on point it was when i needed to fill a comic (laughs) slot in october and uh and you suggested (laughs) paper girls (laughs) now the the anime you suggested we we are also double recording we will get to that it may be after the holidays that that episode drops but we are also going to be talking about that anime that you suggested um uh, you know, little teaser there for our listeners. Now, Andrew, this is
2: something that I believe you were picking up and reading when it came out. Is that right? Yeah, I collected all the all the issues as it was coming out because it. I mean, it, it just kind of naturally had buzz because of the creators, uh, and and so I was like, well, I'll, I'll I'll pick it up and then I'll have it and I won't have to worry about it. I'm sure it's going to be adapted at some point. This is. It, it was just like one of those automatic things. I mean, I fanboy probably had it as pick of the week like four times at least. Oh, you know, guess, it's one of yeah. those kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Um, so the you mentioned the creative team. This is uh, Brian K. Vaughn, who we all uh, have discussed. Well, I, I can't remember. Nor were you on that episode. It was someone from uh, from the, uh, the the Dueling Genre Network came on to discuss Runaways, which is really what put Brian K. Vaughn on my I think it was Scott. Oh, okay. It was Scott.
1: Yeah, probably with Scott, I would imagine. Yeah. But Runaways is one of those
0: comic book series that came out and it was just like, where has this been my entire life? Uh, this is perfectly in all my interests. (laughs) 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 It's it's a great superheroing. It's, uh, the, you know, the, the writing is smart and clever. And it, it, it really made me like, just, I love that series, but it made me interested in everything else that Brian K Vaughn was going to do. And he's done a number of other things. Um, some that have, uh, never quite finished uh others (laughs) that have been fantastic (laughs) self-contained stories and then uh, the artist is cliff chang who i remember he did a wonder woman run that had a lot of positive buzz about it and he's got a distinctive style that um i remember seeing his wonder woman stuff and reading that this feels different but it's um it's like a little bit in the style of like a Chris Somni, if that means anything to any of our listeners, um, or uh, oh, there's one other artist I'm trying to think of, but it's not coming to me. Uh, but it, he has a a very distinctive visual style that definitely works completely with the tone that Brian K. Vaughn is um, creating
1: in the in this particular story in Paper Girls. I love the use of color across this this mm-hmm. uh, first it's very trade. Strong. The especially the way that all the pinks and yellows are used throughout it to really make some pages pop. It's really gorgeous.
0: Yes, definitely. So uh, let's go ahead and mention that too. So here, here's just all the info about the creators. Paper Girls was written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Cliff Chang. Uh, Matt Wilson was the colorist, and Jared K. Fletcher was the letterer. We're discussing the first five issues, and this is the story of four 12-year-old girls who are out delivering papers the morning after Halloween in 1988 when they get caught up in what we find out eventually is a time travel war (laughs) at first. It's kind of like, are these demons? Then it's like, are these demon dinosaurs? Then It's like, are these time traveling demon dinosaurs? What (laughs) exactly? (laughs) Alien old man in a record shirt. Yeah. Aliens definitely crossed my mind. Like, okay, this is gonna be an alien story. Uh, zombies, zombies is a possibility for a little Mm -hmm. while. It definitely is. Like all the genres are, uh, in a mixer, uh, for this in a way that, um, I think the, the comp that it most frequently gets is Stranger Things because this was yeah. released in uh, 2015 is when it first started to be released. It ran from 2015 to 2019. And Stranger yeah. Things, I think, started in 2014.
1: I can double check that. Uh, I actually think this predates Stranger Things by about a year. Oh, really?
0: I thought it was the other way around. Uh, like I think they were both being worked on at the same time, but I thought... Uh, there's. A, oh, I you're mean, right. You're right. It is Stranger Things is 2016. I had moved Stranger Things up in
2: the timeline of my head. There's so much just like natural crossover with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it's like the kids on bikes as, as a genre. So it feels, right. you know, Spielbergian and well, it, the eighties kids on bikes, which is very right. distinct. We're like, it's completely well, separated from communication. And it, it's a, and, a group yeah. of
1: four. They all fit into like pretty similar archetypal roles. as mm-hmm. like the four Stranger Things kids. So like, there's a lot of overlap there for sure. Yeah. And like, it is inspired by the same like 80s Spielberg stuff. Right.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, when, I think when you say kids on bikes, like your default assumption is, well, yeah, that's the eighties because that's the only time when kids on bikes was a thing like that. Where where they roamed
0: uh, the streets from dawn till dusk and just had to be home uh, at at bedtime. And the parents were fine with that as uh, like a
2: a parenting style. And, and for (laughs) whatever reason there, there's some mechanism of it that I also like Halloween is such a natural association. I don't know what it is, but it's like, okay, like what decade is the most Halloween associated? It's the eighties because it's like, well, it, it's in ET, which is a kids on bikes Spielberg movie in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Like right. it's, there's also, also there's Halloween so many... crossover. Like the, something about it is like, there's just, just, there's this, this connection. I mean, stranger things did Halloween and right. And, and kids on bikes in the 1980s. It's like, Something about Kids on Bikes, 1980s and Halloween, it it's just a trifecta that is almost inescapable.
1: Well, the 80s were also have... just like a really big decade for horror. There's just so many mm-hmm. like really iconic horror franchises that like are from the 80s or that peaked in the 80s or that we all grew up in the, or people grew up in the 80s watching. Like it, it was just a really big time for like horror and all this spooky stuff. Like how many Stephen King adaptations were made in mm-hmm. the 80s? Mm hmm. Right. Well, and
0: even even like the a lot of the, the kids entertainment started to have that kind of horror tinge like gremlins, you know, and right um, in the early even, 90s, we got
1: a lot darker with kids stuff. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it really does feel like the right time period for this. And I think another thing, like, I kind of made a joke about it where, like, it needs to be 80 kids because they're, like, cut off from communication. But that's part of it is, like, no one was carrying cell phones. So it is just a uh, sense of... They've got two chonky walkie-talkies. Yeah. That oh, they bought good, for $49.99 at Radio
1: Shack good in 1988. Good tech.
0: Yes, I love that. The giant That's like spending
1: $200 on a walkie-talkie now.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, she said, like, that was, it's, my, it's that so was all of my Christmas tips went to the walkie-talkie. <laughs> it's, it's like buying, like... An inexpensive computer. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Let's let's uh, go
0: through a little bit of trivia about Paper Girls. So it ran for thirty issues to tell the self-contained story, uh, and like I said, it's from two thousand fifteen to two thousand nineteen. Um, each of those was collected into a trade paperback that had five issues, and it does make uh, a little difference in the pacing of comic books. That like I think back to when like trade paperbacks first. People started writing for the trades in the early two thousands, where like the knowledge that you know every at the time six issues of twenty two to twenty four pages of comic books were going to be collected into a trade paperback. Now it tends to become five issues of twenty page comic books, and that's a lot of content that gets trimmed away uh, mm-hmm. to, to try and tell the story. And, and publishers want now those five issues to feel like this is a full story arc that someone's gonna be satisfied picking up and reading. I mean, it's it's practically two whole issues less. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the page count has gone down. Prices, of course, gone up. Though I will say, for uh Paper Girls, these the trade paperbacks were 10 bucks for five issues, which is a very reasonable price. Mm -hmm. But they also put together a an omnibus collection of all 30 issues that is only, I think, on Amazon $30 I saw. And that is an amazing price (laughs) for a 30 issue collection.
1: (laughs) Right? Like this is image comics, and their first issue is always like significantly cheaper the first trade than like other trades in the like mm-hmm. that are on the market because they want you to pick it up. Yeah. And, and I, so I was,
0: I was just thought it was very reasonably priced um, for, for it, even as there is a legitimate complaint about like the, with everything, like the rising inflation is pricing out, mm-hmm. you know, casual fans of things. Uh, but this is one that if, if your library doesn't have it, it's actually not terribly overpriced to get all 30 issues right now. Um, in 2016, Paper Girls won two Eisner Awards, Best New Series and Best Penciler. In 2017, Wilson won an Eisner for Best Colorist and Vaughn for Best Writer. And those were kind of like uh, for their creative output during the year, not specifically solely for the series. But they were both working on the series in that year. And then Wilson won another Eisner for Colorist in 2019. I'm just going to guess like Wilson and Jordi Belair just trade the Eisner for Best Colorist uh, <laughs> every <laughs> year. I need to go look that up. But it feels like those two are like just the top of the game for, for Colorist right now um an eight episode tv adaptation based on the comic book series premiered on amazon prime in 2022 unfortunately it was not picked up for a second season despite very favorable reviews uh when it came out and um, i didn't even realize it came out yeah i don't think it was promoted super well and also i'm not sure like how many how do eight episodes of television go to these five volume Uh, five issue volumes like is it two two volumes became eight episodes or is it Mm -hmm. did they stretch these five issues into eight episodes I don't know I haven't watched it yet
1: I have not either I, I haven't I don't know anything about the show really And I mean, this is just the shame of the streaming world. It's like
0: knowing that it was canceled after one season. It's kind of like, do I ever want to go like, there's so much media out there. Do I want to go invest in it? I mean, I really liked these five issues I just read and I looked at the, uh, the promo images. I'm like, Oh, it looks like the visually they captured a lot of the vibe of, of this, this comic book series. So I think I would like it, but I'd also be, you know, feeling left hanging at the end.
2: Right. I mean, if, if five years from now, it has a massive resurgence, then you'll watch it because it's the zeitgeist. But outside of that, (laughs) You know, like, how much are you willing to watch if it's not part of a larger conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. socially and everything, especially for something that it's like, oh, well, it's initial window passed. So it'd have to be like it came back into the into the cultural conversation.
0: Yeah. And and we're just knowing that it's an, you know, essentially an incomplete story. I doubt it's ever going to circle back, you know, into the the cultural conversation, which the streamers are doing this to themselves when they do this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. And they don't tell anyone what any what like ratings are or like their viewing numbers so we don't even know what it would take for a show to get a second season it's all very it's very arcane and obscure
0: yeah um hopefully it's some some of the changes that are coming about because of the the writer's strike but you know at least other creatives are going to have some more insights even if it's not publicly shared about what is actually happening in the little black box of these streaming numbers yeah uh any other trivia that anyone has that you want to share any randomness that you've encountered about paper girls. No, no. All right. Well, before we move on to the summary listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we're consuming, that we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. If you want to hear our thoughts on the Batman and the flash, the, uh, the September quick cast has <laughs> all of that for you <laughs> and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss.
2: Just the September quick cast. It, it has a different flavor <laughs> than our, than a lot of our quick cast. It's, it's, it's one of the, uh, like it, it has so few things that we talk about, but we talk about them in <laughs> greater depth than usual.
0: Yeah, I, just a little teaser for our listeners. I had COVID and was looking for something to distract me, and I was checking the time <laughs> on some shows as I was just, like, dying in bed, like, something distracted me. Why is this so long? <laughs> 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 but we're, we're not going to talk about that here. We're going to talk about Paper Girls. All right. Uh, in Paper Girls, Aaron, uh, who is, I believe, 12-year-old, uh, girl. She has a strange dream with a black apple. And apple uh, symbolism is going to be very prominent in this series. Uh, with a black apple and an astronaut with wings. Her alarm goes off very early in the morning. And she goes to complete her paper route. Erin uh, lives in a suburb of Cleveland called Stony Stream. It's the morning after Halloween. And she encounters a group of teenage boys who are still out. And they harass Aaron some. But then a group of three paper girls arrive. And the boys leave. The leader of this group is Mackenzie. Though she goes by Mac. And there's also KJ and Tiffany. These paper girls always ride together the morning after Halloween because crazies might still be out there. They invite Aaron to join them and then split into pairs. Mac takes one of Tiffany's walkie-talkies and rides with Aaron. Mac smokes. She's the tough rebel of the group. She offers a cigarette to Aaron, who refuses. Mac has an... Our routes are rules attitude, while Aaron is very much of a stickler for doing exactly what the publisher has told them to do on their routes. A police car stops them and questions Mac about broken windows in the area, but Aaron vouches for Mac. KJ calls out over the walkie-talkie, saying they need help. People have attacked Tiffany. Mac and Aaron race to help, and they find Tiff's clothes, like the knee of her jeans are torn and her knee is bleeding. They say three guys jumped them, and they actually have stolen the walkie-talkie. Which, as we mentioned earlier, was a very expensive walkie-talkie <laughs> for for them. Tiff says it wasn't the boys from earlier. This was some people who uh, were speaking a weird language, but not Spanish. Uh, they are ride through a development of new houses and sneak into one that has weird sounds and find a strange capsule down in the basement,
1: like a almost like a space capsule kind of thing. It's like flesh and metal. It looks really gross in places. Yeah, <laughs> the the like fleshy metal aesthetic.
2: Makes me very uncomfortable throughout this comic book series. It was, it was like the thing that I found the least, uh, or or like the most disconcerting. I was like, I don't like
0: that. Yeah, like um, Guardians of Galaxy Volume Three played with the fleshy alien technology kind of situation, but in a way that was very bright and bubbly. This does in a way that's body horror.
2: Well, it's all like it's like flesh colored. It's it's you know like pink and and I don't know. And it looks wet.
1: and tacky. Yeah. It, like, you know like chewed bubble be, gum.
0: Yeah. Well, weird sploric sounds are going to come. If you touch it, you know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they see this uh, thing. And uh, then there's a strange light uh, flash of light. And they're going to run out of the house and they see the men who took Tiff's walkie-talkie, and they chase them. They look like they're dressed as ninjas for Halloween. Uh, Mac pulls a hood off one of them, and they have weird cybernetic implants, and also like a uh, just strange way the, the the technology and the flesh are meeting here. It's uncomfortable to look at.
2: It it, it has caused I would say what
0: looks to be some swelling. Yeah. sure Uh, yeah Yeah. uh they were probably given some instructions you know you got to clean this with a saline solution uh rinse it out three times a day and they've done none of that they just really have just let this thing fester uh you can't
1: tell us what to do
0: (laughs) we're teenagers we're gonna find that out later (laughs) it's it's like it's like cauliflower ear all over (laughs) yes so the men are gonna run away uh and aaron finds that one of them dropped a small Black box with an Apple symbol on it that is just an Apple computer logo. Uh, But it's on a very small piece of technology, and that makes no sense for the 1980s. So we see one of the ninja men get attacked by a monster. Then the paper girls go to Aaron's home, but it's empty. Her parents and sister aren't there. The phone isn't working. They go back out and see one of the teenage boys from earlier. Not the ninjas, but the the normal boys that were being punks. And he's standing frozen, looking up in the street. And they look up, and the sky has turned pink, and there's flying dinosaur monsters everywhere. And then they look back, and the boy is gone. Uh, They ride to Mac's house, a little freaked out about what's going on, where uh, her stepmother is very drunk and has a gun and plans to shoot herself because the world is ending. Uh, Mac wrestles the gun away from her stepmom, but it goes off, and Aaron is shot. And it looks like she's shot straight through the abdomen. This is not, uh, you know, the classic... Uh, spy movie flesh wound in the shoulder that you're going to quickly recover from even though that uh, I've heard from doctors that the shoulder is actually one of the worst places to get shot but they always get shot there in spy and cop shows
1: (laughs) and they're fine because there's a lot of arteries there (laughs) it's a good place to put like the makeup and the prosthetic for a wound that you don't have to like make it too big so like it's a good place to do it on TV and the actor just kind of has to hold the arm up and it's like oh wounded visual uh, marker that this person is wounded
2: you know it's the the visual signifier that's like okay Wounded, but it's but it doesn't not have to rush to a doctor it, because it's not center mass. We assume <laughs> yes. it's fine
0: though. No, no, in reality, I again I've heard you may be more likely to bleed out from a shoulder wound than an, a gut wound. <laughs> well, Especially, and I was I assume oh,
2: the leg's actually you know quite bad.
0: Yeah, but that's okay, but just it's another like, one where it's like, okay, it's like, they're okay, shoulder and still and leg. Yeah, yeah. If they're in the shoulder, they're going to be running along, but wincing. If the, it's in the leg,
2: they're going to stay wherever they were at, but they're going to be fine. I mean, Joseph, it's sort of like we, we covered um, person of interest. Yeah. It's sort of like a person of interest. They do a lot of kneecaps, but mm-hmm. then the people aren't rolling around on the ground screaming. They just go down and they go quiet. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Aaron, uh, this one's a real wound and looks very serious
0: uh, for this and uh then as this happens um they they look and their the uh, max step is gone so people are just like disappearing and it's really not clear what is happening um max uh are, so the girls even though they're 12 they're going to try to drive Aaron to a hospital they can't get her onto a bike and do you know the buddy system because she's so wounded. So they're just going to do their best. And I think one of them says something like, I, my dad let me drive in a, in a parking lot once. And now they're on the roads trying to get to the hospital. I mean, um, there's no one else driving around. But then an armored man steps off a flying lizard in the middle of the road right in front of them. <laughs> and so she slams on the brakes. Uh, he has a translator and promises to help Aaron get better. But uh, as the girls are like debating whether they should trust this guy, uh, he gets shot by the ninja guys from earlier. And one of the ninja guys picks up that translator and tells the girls, we're like you, we're teenagers. (laughs) Uh, An old man is going to get a call from a woman in armor who has found the dead man in the armor. Uh, The old man tells her to call an editrix to deal with the paper girls. The ninjas are leading the girls through a sewer one of the ninja guys is carrying aaron she's having hallucinations uh i love
1: that hallucination because it's like a dream of ronald reagan (laughs) yes (laughs) telling her that she's messed up like (laughs) it must have been fun to write
0: some of these the, the, the dream sequences and hallucinations here um then one of the ninja guys realizes uh you know what this translator they might be able to track us through the translator and just then an editrix which is a like a big growing technological cthulhu thing uh green blob with tentacles uh shows up and it grabs onto tiffany and tiffany has her life flashed through her eyes loved the sequence we'll circle back to it in a second uh then kj rushes and pulls tiffany away from one of the tentacles and the ninja guy shoots the editrix tiffany is embarrassed Because as her life flashed through her eyes, she was just trying to beat a level on a video game she doesn't even like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Brian came on. I did not need to be called out personally
1: <laughs> while I was reading Paper Girls. <laughs> right. You just get stuck doing this. You're just like, I the game will not beat me. I will beat the game. <laughs> and and it is uh
0: so as she's having these flashbacks, the panels go sideways. So you gotta like turn the comic on the side. And it's again great coloring where it's like this is clearly not like life right now. This is all flashback just in the in the monochromatic color palette that each panel has. And it's just her lying in different positions in front of the TV with the video game. Control controller and some close-ups of the little 1980s puzzle game that she's stuck on
1: it's arkanoid apparently she says yeah. a little later
0: <laughs> yes uh the ninja men reach a pod in the forest this is then kind of fleshy tech pod they take Aaron into it and then it disappears <laughs> and the other girls are left wondering uh what what just happened our friend oh, was ah. just kidnapped by two men <laughs> oh damn <laughs> uh Eric is going to wake up and the men are gonna say you're in our win house not the warehouse and like it's implied that uh the ninja men time travel and steal stuff that isn't valuable and won't be missed from when they take it but becomes valuable in other time periods when it's rare uh, and they store it in the win house and right now she's being he- healed by insects which is like nanotech insects that are crawling all around in her gut wound Little freaky,
1: yeah. Uh, I like the I like the use of language uh, from like the future people quite a li- quite a lot in this. I think it's interesting the way that it's constructed. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: well, I, I let, let's say that and and pull a few examples of some of the future speak, which is like is like the reverse of like Shakespearean English to to modern English, where you're like, okay, I you know I can see how it moved from that to this, and it's trying to like project that into the future, yeah, uh, in in some ways. Um, so let's see, Aaron's in the Win House, the Paper Girls. Are going to incapacitate that armored woman and then run away and then the old man walks through a room where the townspeople are floating in pink bacta tanks and uh so they're all in some kind of stasis the ninja guys are returning aaron in the pod something about this trip kills them and it was not clear to me what in returning aaron to her friends killed these two ninja guys but they're dead
1: for sure i think it's that they messed up the math on their landing because they talk about that right before that happens
0: okay uh and so aaron's gonna get out of the pod and uh a- and see the other paper girls the old man finds the girls and has the armored woman and uh aaron then is gonna do something with the little black box with the apple on it and then there's gonna be a trippy explosion and the girl's are gonna wake up on a road and a car is gonna stop in front of them and aaron's gonna stand up and say my name is aaron tiang i need your help and an adult woman is gonna step out of the car and says and say, "Is this a joke?" My name is Erin Tiang, and it's an adult version of twelve-year-old Erin, and she has an iPod and and earbuds in her ears. The end of Volume One of Paper Girls.
1: I love that last page. I really. It's a. It's, do. A, it's a really good last page.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, like the the pacing of it, the the way. Uh, it's a page turn reveal which sometimes comic book artists uh, just just in the process of publishing sometimes big reveals are on like the right hand of the page and you see it when you're on the left hand page like reading you just your eyes have taken in enough of the right hand page that you've seen like the big reveal that oh it's really the joker or dr doom is back or you know whatever it is but this one does the page turn reveal where the bottom panel of the previous page is the woman stepping out of the car and you see the back of her legs saying is this a joke And then the next page when you turn it is a full page shot of her just standing next to the car again with like the marker of the time period being the iPod with the earbuds um, and her just saying, my name is Aaron Tiang. Great, great reveal uh, there at the end. Um, So there's a lot I think we could talk about. One thing I just want to get out here. I loved the genre blender that this is where it didn't matter (laughs) what it was or what like, like the tropes are coming from all sorts of different things. And, and I, I've not read the other volumes to know if this all makes sense in the end. But as far as like a reader being unsure of what it was that I was reading, sometimes that can become very disconcerting and you feel like you can't get a handle something about this. The tone all just worked for me.
1: I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that these are 12 year olds. So like, they mention a couple of, like, historical things here and there in the in the story, but they get the details wrong or they get a name wrong. Like, KJ says it's the 50th anniversary of War of the Worlds, that hoax pulled by that author, Orville Wright. And I think <laughs> doing stuff like that in the text with, like, these kids really allows you as the reader to just kind of let a lot of the inconsistency go. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the genres that are being claimed with, like, they're all, like
0: cousins of each other that we like stored next to each other on a shelf (laughs) at a bookstore or or a movie video store when that existed in the 1980s where it's horror and sci-fi and fantasy and they're all like those are all the genre fiction that just goes over there together right right
1: yeah and I, i think it's really clever the way that it uses kind of like meta references in a couple of places like things that we would recognize now as like pop culture things but like also stuff kids would have seen or like knew about to kind of communicate the blending of things because there's the K. is it's a i think it's kj and aaron again uh where kj is uh aaron is like didn't you see that movie star trek 4 it's like when they go around the sun and kj says she doesn't watch sci-fi like time travel stories but she's seen uh, when Peggy Sue got married and Aaron's like, oh, that's more of a fantasy time travel story. <laughs> like, I think that's really like a cool way to kind of bridge the gap there and just communicate what's going on. Well, and you also have the the mixture of
2: like this set of kids where it seems like maybe they don't actually hang out outside of the paper route stuff too much. Yeah, because because like one of them is an athlete, like she she plays field hockey and Mac is, I mean, like a burnout <laughs> basically yeah like a 12 year old version of it well like the 12 year old juvenile delinquent right yeah Yeah. it's
0: it's, she's not like too bad and gone uh mm -hmm. like she's not doing hard drugs she's smoking cigarettes she's not uh you know out uh stealing stuff she's breaking the rules on her paper out and like doesn't deliver to the guy that was a punk to her
1: yeah (laughs) right and then uh, tiffany seems to be the one like aaron that aaron can relate to as soon as mm -hmm. she like joins the group like tiffany's kind of between kj and and mac she seems to follow the rules she's got discipline she saved up the money for the walkie talkies
2: yeah she pays <laughs> attention in school
0: oh yeah uh, and so once that we've met mac would not be saving money for a walkie talkie she would not have the no. discipline to to not spend money until she had the 45 dollars or whatever She got to spend <laughs> like it on in one cigarettes. of
1: the <laughs> right yeah in one of the first shots that we saw with uh with aaron when she's getting ready in the morning she opens that drawer and there's just like stacks of five dollar bills banded up saved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: yeah so she's saving up and well and and so that's a lot in
1: 1988 too there's like 10 stacks (laughs) of banded bills in that drawer yeah and some of them say 10 not just
2: five yeah um yeah so it's sort of like a like a breakfast club um kind of grouping where it's like this is not actually necessarily a
1: friend group Right. Like, you don't get the sense that they even hang out that much on their paper routes in general. It's just that they've realized it's safer for them certain nights of the year like this Mm -hmm. that they should group up.
2: Yeah. So they see each other sometimes for like picking up the papers. And then sometimes they're actually going to spend time around each other. But, uh, but they don't really hang out. They don't really know each other that well. I like it almost seems like they are basing. they're they're basing their relationship dynamic off of how each one presents themselves. It's like, well, I'm going to be a little rude to you because we're not the same. It's not because I actually know we're not the same. It's because I dress this way and you dress that way.
1: Yeah. 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 There's projection. It's- oh. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: I think that's getting to one other thing that stood out to me, like before we start talking about the characters, um, the first thing is obviously like the genre blend it's immediate when you're reading this, where it's like, is, is this the alien invasion or zombie apocalypse or, or the end time travel is what we find
1: out. But well, then even the other- on the first page, there's like an angel in an astronaut outfit yeah. to tell you that there's like two things going on here.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, the angel of Krista McAuliffe, uh, the, the astronaut who had died, um, in the challenger explosion. Um, And and lots of religious imagery. But what I was going to say is while that genre blend and this kind of like um, wild adventure where it's like what is actually going on could be driving so much of this. They do a really good job of like inserting a lot of interesting ideas about uh, class issues, about gender issues, about addiction, about ageism, you know, and about responsibility and maturation. And like all these things are there and none of them like get harped on for like, you know, pages on end. But it's like, as I stop and think back on these five issues where so much wild stuff happened, there is embedded thematic discussions about a lot of different things. Some of which happen very quickly, like just the as the girls introduce each other, like what school they go to immediately. They're making class
2: judgments about one another.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like two of them go to private school.
2: Mm hmm. Um, Well, and and throughout the rest of the series, there's more of that sort of stuff with with other topics so it's not like there's a single theme that i think carries through all the time but um i mean it, like without spoiling too much you clearly see that there is time travel involved and so there is i mean if you get into the future you're going to start to look up what's going on with you yeah What well, what is
0: and, the adult version
2: of myself up to yeah <laughs> and so they start to you know investigate those kinds of things and and you know there's self-discovery um through all of that
1: Mm -hmm. that's
2: interesting i like that sort of
1: stuff yeah
0: and and it just made me more impressed because i think the the pitch of this is you know could get this produced right you know like okay i i can see all all those things mixed together and and the the vibes that you're describing in a pitch that is enough to get this made but what made it more special to me was those themes that were running through it all
1: yeah and in a in a way that never feels like it's trying to really go out of its way to like beat you over the head with it or make it really obvious like it's all like pretty most of it's pretty subtle but it's there very clearly
0: yeah even like um one about like um you know uh sexual harassment like there's this conversation about uh you know we're going to the woods with these two two boys the, the 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 ninja boys that are trying to save their friend but they're also like we shouldn't be going anywhere with two boys. We know what boys are like, uh, which is just like this, like the, uh, an acknowledgement of this kind of so- social dread and pressure that pervades these girls existence. Right. Yeah. And, and like you said, they're not going to stop and, you know, spend, you know, five pages making this a very special issue about that. But the fact that that's one of the first thoughts they have when their friend is also dying, it's like, Oh, you know, that's just, yeah. it's sad. <laughs> but it, it, And it's present in the text without, uh, making you like screaming at you, like this is a hyper feminist text or anything like that, which I mean, it's called paper girls. It should be a a feminist text. And I think it is, but it also doesn't feel like we're being preached at.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: All right. Should we talk some about each one of these girls?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Did you, I guess, I don't know which one, like Erin's kind of our eyes into the world. We open the story on her. So it feels like she is the protagonist, but I just kind of want to ask, do you have a favorite that you want to, you want to talk about first?
2: Um, I think it makes sense to talk about Erin first. Like you said, she is the eyes into the world. I I think they make a point of saying like, it's her first Halloween as a paper girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, and so she like, it feels like, I don't know if she's moved in recently, but it feels like that kind of, you know, storytelling mechanism.
0: Or at least she's, she's like cross threshold to like having this, this employment, which is giving a level of independence to her as an adolescent girl, right. Mm -hmm. To have that money that's in the drawer. Uh, But, but it's a fairly new development for her where it feels like, you know, Mac is definitely the veteran of the group and the other ones also have more seasons under their belt than, than Aaron.
1: Yeah. You get the sense that Mac is probably a little old Mac and KJ seem to be a little older than the other Mm -hmm. two to me. Like Mac and KJ seem to be in high school. Just the way that they carry themselves and the way that they act. I mean, yeah, Uh,
2: they have like a like a confidence or or at least a bravado.
1: Yeah, like especially Mac, like uh, but some of that might also just be projection. But the idea that Mac was the one that started like getting girls into being able to be on the paper routes in the suburb, like makes it seem like Mac must be older than the other three.
0: Yeah, that feels right. And I don't know if that gets established for sure in a future volume, but I agree with what what you're saying as far as the feeling. Um, So if we're going to talk a little bit about Aaron. How would you define Aaron as a character?
1: I think I would, if I was going to try to like pin down stuff about Aaron, um, she seems to be like forward thinking, largely trusting um, Mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe a little too naive for her own good. Uh, but she also doesn't seem to have a lot of friends. So like, I'm not sure what to make of that from this first volume. Maybe that's yeah. because she's moved in, but there's a point in her dream with Ronald Reagan where like, <laughs> there's a comment about when you still had friends, your little <laughs> sister doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it does
0: feel a bit like, um, like you said, uh, she's finding this group of three other paper girls is going to be a more significant like expansion of her social circle than it Mm -hmm. is for those three paper girls to bring in her.
2: Well, and uh, I I mentioned this earlier, like she has that sense. That's like, okay, this is a recent transplant. This is a move in. Mm -hmm. And, and so it, you know, it hasn't established the, the friend group. I think, I think it's worth talking about like how they're all dressed. Yeah. Because so she is in a denim jacket. And she's the only one in a denim jacket. And that that like means something in the 80s. Right? Like, uh-huh. like I don't know if she has a scrunchie but it looks like she would have a scrunchie. Yes. But, and but, she's got like a,
0: the the blouse that's hanging out of a sweater vest mm-hmm. underneath the denim jacket. Like there's layers that
2: are going on here. Yeah. And so it's like, okay. Oh, so there's she, leg
0: warmers. She's wearing leg warmers she, under her yeah. jeans.
2: Yes. Yeah, so right. She's got she's leg got warmers. Nice white she, has, shoes. she has a button-down shirt. And mm-hmm. so it's like, okay, she's not wearing a t-shirt. She's She's wearing a nice shirt and she's wearing the denim jacket, but she looks done up and says like, okay, so like she is clearly like conscientious about how she's dressing. She wants to dress nicely, but she's not, it's not overdone. She is not, Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's not performing in, in like eighties terms. She's not a popular girl or like the pretty girl. She is not, um, Oh, man, I'm going to get like all the names mixed up from 80s icons. Um, And I was trying to reference Breakfast Club again. Uh, The Molly Ringwald? Molly Ringwald. She's not dressed up like Molly Ringwald is. Mm -hmm. Right. She's, She's not she's not done up in that way. But she is. I mean, I guess preppy might be the the term I'd use. So in
0: um in one of my lit classes, we were talking about the concept of the outsider hero versus the establishment hero, you know, where the outsider is going to use the tools of savagery, lack of civilization, to protect civilization. The establishment hero is part of civilization and is protecting civilization from the inside. Uh, Aaron feels like, an establishment hero, right? She's mm-hmm. the responsible one that's going to follow the rules uh, and do the right thing and try and help people, but always while still following rules. Mac is the outsider hero uh, who just doesn't care, <laughs> you know. But it's also still in her own chaotic way doing a moral good as she sees it, not as society tells her it is the moral good. All right, Nor- Norman,
1: you can. There's help also us like this. another Let- subtle thing with Mac too, compared to the others, is that Mac is riding a boy's bike, mm-hmm. right? which isn't very apparent on most pages, but I was just curious about it because I was looking at uh, Aaron's bike and hers looks the newest. Mm-hmm. Like, like she got it for the paper route, right? Like she got it for this job um, where the others are like a little more beat up. Uh, Max is like the most beat up and Max's looks like a hand-me-down like boys bike. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's got a different and Aaron's and handlebars and everything.
0: The powder blue with pink highlights, you know,
2: bike. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, uh, she's if the one earliest of, was...
1: of the four of them.
2: If one of them was gonna have tassels on the handle, <laughs> yeah, it would be Aaron's. Yeah. So, so Norman, I know, like, you can give us context with this. If we were gonna try to map on some D and D classes to these characters, I think Aaron's in like paladin or cleric territory, where it's like it's got to be by the book, you've got to follow rules.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say that Aaron is is like
2: well, she's definitely, definitely lawful good. Rant.
1: Yeah. i I think uh, tiffany is like that too uh but not to the same degree tiffany's like the character that seems to always be prepared yeah she'd be uh, like maybe closer to like a something
2: neutral yeah mac is a barbarian uh (laughs) (laughs) yes and and probably chaotic neutral yeah 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 um and uh kj is pretty level-headed but I but don't know. Is, KJ's the one that's also the sporty one, right? Yeah, yeah. And so she's willing to like get into it physically. So, and, what would be like a like fighter the, that is like a biggest.
0: little more of a, but but not like a barbarian fighter,
2: right? I mean, there's a
1: fighter. I don't know. Is there? there is just a fighter. I did, maybe I didn't Mac know that. is a little more rogue, but like Mac seems to have like problems with authority and like mm-hmm. anger issues. Yeah. I had thought of Mac as a rogue right off the bat. Yeah. Maybe she's a rogue. Maybe she's more just an angry rogue um uh, anyway
2: i i just thought anyway. of that as like a, a context to try and give these characters where it's like yeah there's you know like you know a response to authority how by the book are they how how like socially responsible how personally responsible
1: yeah yeah for and sure I, I like the way that they like immediately establish a rapport with these four girls so that you kind of have an idea of each of their personalities in a pretty natural way. Like none of the dialogue that they share feels like it's it's like trying to communicate something like outside of the way that these characters would just kind of talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Aaron seems to be like smart, isolated. Um, but like not from her family, but like from her peer group yeah like maybe she's new maybe it's because she goes to like an all-girls catholic school so like she doesn't have a lot of friends there for some reason she seems to not have faith in god based on some of her like some of the dream stuff but, but there is major religious god. imagery throughout yeah. this whole text, so she, she yeah. has like an association
2: so i'm 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 like on the wikipedia page looking at the character breakdowns and they mentioned that she goes to a catholic school um so there is like a religious background Going on with her, but she might not be confident in what that means for her.
1: Yeah, there's the in the in the Reagan dream, there's that line. It's like, why would God let this happen to me? And it's like because you realize the same thing about God as you did about Santa when you were five. And then there's like a wink in that frame. So like it's pretty clear to me that like Aaron goes to this Catholic school and maybe grew up around religion, but isn't a believer. And that maybe is part of why she doesn't have a lot of friends. She doesn't associate with them outside of when she absolutely has to for school.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably right, and um, it does feel like you know her her family probably is still actively religious, and she's just going through some motions,
1: uh, right? You know, I mean, she doesn't like, have a choice where she goes to school,
0: yeah. And the uh, the religious imagery, I thought it was really clever the way it becomes. Like the forbidden fruit, and then taking a bite of an apple, and then the Apple icon, you know, for technology. Right. You know, with the, the uh, you know, it's so laden. The old man hippie that uh, has all the townspeople in the stasis pods. He has a phone that's an Apple. Uh, <laughs> He's wearing
1: an Apple records shirt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I don't know how this all is going to tie together in the next 25 issues after the five that we've read, but clearly they're setting up some ideas about religion and modern technology and society and uh it'll be interesting to read on and see how well you know the landing sticks but in these five issues it's just kind of intriguing ideas are being introduced to us as readers
1: yeah definitely
0: i feel like we get the least out of about um KJ and Tiffany, I would assume that some of that is this is the first five issues. We're going to obviously focus a lot on the person who's our eyes into this a world of, of paper girls, not the world of weird uh, time travel invasions right uh and then and then mac is also like that's a character that just kind of jumps off the page uh y- yeah. you you need a dominant mm-hmm. presence within within the group i would assume like in the next volume we find out a little bit more about the family life of kj or you know whatever the backstory is for tiffany and things like that
1: right because kj is missing at the end of the volume so they're like well where is she we got to go find her mm-hmm. um are, is there anything else that particularly stands out to either of you uh, about
0: the series that makes it work well for you as a story?
1: I think it just visually works really well with the way that everything's put together. Like the way that the the page layouts are done are like really captivating, especially like when Tiffany gets grabbed by that weird technological beholder monster, the editrix, <laughs> and relives that video game thing. I think that was a really cool way to communicate like the feeling of being trapped in a replay. Mm-hmm. because all of the frame- all of the panels are the same size, the way that they're oriented would cause you to causes you to have to shift the book to like really take a look at what's going on so it, it, you flip through those few pages in like not necessarily a comfortable way because you're going against the way you would maybe like look at a calendar It's really well, interesting I, and the coloring it's like um. It's
0: just off-putting enough. Like it's monochromatic, but like the hues that are chosen for the flashback, they just feel artificial enough that it it doesn't match the rest of the the coloring that's being done in the book.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And like, it, I think that like a the combination of like some of the darker tones and then like the real like neon colors just mm-hmm. keeps drawing the eye. The design of like the like these weird pterosaurs juxtaposed with like the technological armor is just like really interesting to look at i think there's there's just a lot of really really like good visual stuff that continues to push like this kind of blended genre that just kind of helps elevate some of the context or the, the content of what's going on here i think one of, one of the like key images when
2: i think about this series is the like medieval knight armor riding a dinosaur but also it's <laughs> clearly like they're shooting like a laser out of a lance and it's like yeah. okay th- like you're mixing dinosaurs knights and and science fiction and but like i always think about that like it's something about
1: that just hits me every time i think about paper girls yeah i think of that sky like the first thing that i think oh, of yeah. when i think of this story is that like the pink star field sky after that flash in the abandoned house yeah and
0: for me like one of my favorite bits was at the end of the first uh, issue when she picks up the the Apple <laughs> you know the Apple tech <laughs> that's like this is the wrong size and like one of the other girls is like I remember that symbol and like the giant computers in my in my at my school library,
1: <laughs> I think that the 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 little like iPod size thing mm-hmm. is actually like a really clever way to communicate before they say it that this is a time travel story.
0: Yeah, because at that point we are very much still uh, assuming zombies or mm-hmm. uh some sort of supernatural invasion.
1: Yeah, so like I I think it's a really interesting way. Like technology has shrunk so much that like of course it looks like really alien and unfamiliar. Like you might recognize the branding, but like what the heck is this?
0: Yeah, and and um, you know, for me, like I I was born in 1982, so like I remember the milieu in which this is set, and how strange it would be to imagine like the right, you know, that kind of technology, and and like you said, that has shrunk to, to that scale.
1: Like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I have a similar experience because I grew up in rural New England, so we're like 10 years behind the rest of the country. <laughs> so like, I was I was in elementary school, and we still had the Big Apple twos, like mm-hmm. in the in the school library and stuff yeah like i'm of that age where i remember a childhood
0: without computers and childhood with computers like i remember both uh you know being part of it like it was a big deal when we got a computer in the house uh that could play some uh minesweeper and a a very poorly rendered racing game
1: with 28k (laughs) dial-up internet
0: (laughs) well the the internet didn't come at first that that was a that was a ways way still oh yeah i mean i remember
1: having a commodore 64 when i was really young (laughs) uh
0: but yeah like you said it Immediately for the reader, resets like, okay, so this isn't a a zombie story on Halloween night. Like, why is there an iPod
1: in 1988?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And and it it made that mystery uh, really interesting. And it still continues to play with all those other genres. But now we know as readers, there's something time-traveling happening. Uh, You know, as Mm -hmm. part of this and that becomes the dominant genre, you know, by by the end of the story.
2: Well, and 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 it has like it immediately kind of establishes a sense of. I, I don't know if like mysticism or divinity or religion and technology coming together because of the apple. Mm hmm. Like it, it, there's so many things throughout the series where it's like, okay, very quickly you see an image and it's drawing enough attention to that to recontextualize that and give you a sense of what's going on. Like seeing future Aaron with with the iPod and the earbuds, like they draw enough attention to the iPod and the earbuds to say, oh, this must be decades later
1: right like and, i think and, and, but it's then probably like 2013 that. based on con- based on mm-hmm. the conversation of the two boys earlier i assume that yeah. that last page is 2013 and and you have like the the apple in both a
2: technological context but also in in like the religious context
1: yeah
0: yeah we're we're given it first initially in that strange dream that is again a blend of science technology and religion where it is uh you know an astronaut in the space race talking about uh heaven and hell um and and there's the a uh, black apple uh you know imagery uh is is going to be present uh in the dream. I guess it's a red apple in this one but it's a black apple and is in the hallucination somewhere there's a black yeah, apple
1: it's a a black apple in the the Reagan hallucination
0: <laughs> yeah uh and, and again it's like I don't know yet where this is all going or what Brian K Vaughan is wanting to say on this but it's a very interesting mix within this story
2: mm-hmm. um, it, it, it it's like taking. Well, and I think this is maybe part of like the the Reagan hallucination is like, OK, we're taking everything that is like potent and powerful in your head and mixing them together in ways that it's like actually these don't necessarily go together. And so it's like religion and technology and politics and and, you know, all of the, and, and, you know, mythology and, and like space, but also angels. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so it's like these are all like potent concepts and they're all floating around your head when you're 12 years old in different ways and then just saying it's like we're just really going to mash them together in in a way that's very like disorienting
0: yeah i and i i i feel way more confident in this series knowing that it's like 30 issues and it feels like they knew where they were going with this right Uh, it'd be a
1: quick read to like to to consume this and and really like take a look at it cuz 30 issues is not very much comic
0: because one of uh, Brian K. Vaughn's, like other initially very well received big idea stories was Saga, which is was has been plagued by delays and is still hasn't finished.
1: Yeah, it's on hiatus still. I think.
0: Yeah, and it has been for I want to say years <laughs> um, at this yeah. point. Uh, and this like if this was just an ongoing or or wasn't self contained to a certain number of issues, I can feel it being like an interesting world. But what is it actually saying? And I I feel confident knowing that it's got thirty issues that it's going to say something by the end.
1: Yeah. Um oh uh one more quick thing that I want to that uh, we we like touched on earlier and then didn't didn't come back to the like future speak that I think is really interesting. Oh yeah. Really makes me think of some of the future scenes in the movie Cloud Atlas. I don't know if either of you have seen that. No, I, I know not. that
0: was the it was one of the like everyone in Hollywood's going to be a little involved in this Wachowski siblings film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cloud Atlas is a weird movie that feels way too long but has like a few individual things in it that have just stuck with me since I saw it uh including like adding a phrase to things i just say all the time which is true true like because it's a thing they do in the future scenes for that movie and (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'll just wormed its way and stuck in my head but like it's interesting I, i like thinking about the idea of like language evolution and there's a certain amount of the way that language is played with here that kind of makes sense like looking back seven years and thinking about how some slang has changed it's like, like i can almost see how some of these would exist like a decade into the future mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. when this was written
2: like
0: uh one of the future people says something like are you pause?" meaning like are you positive are you sure right and it just immediately was like oh that's like sus you know
1: yeah <laughs> like so a lot of it kind of makes sense because a lot of it is just like abbreviation or going back to an earlier slang word and we do that all the time in english mm-hmm Right, and and some of it's just like okay,
2: simplification, I think there's uh, there's times in it where it seems like they simplified the conjugation of verbs, yeah, right,
0: and in their speak, they do some texting acronyms like like whenever you say like the future speak is saying the word you, it's just a capital u, like you know text speech, which wouldn't matter if this is being spoken on the, on the t v adaptation, but for a comic book reader, <laughs> it stands out,
1: yeah. For sure. I also like the way that before they have the translator, like I don't know if someone has translated the text in this, but I really like the symbols they use for like them talking in their like in their other language too. Mm-hmm. like I don't know if it actually means anything, if it's translatable or not. I didn't look that up, but I also just think that that's a really like an interesting choice because it I, does look very consistent.
2: I think it is translatable. I remember when I was reading the the issues in the um in like the letters column in the back, uh, there were conversations sometimes about translating snippets of, um, of any of the, the, it, it, I mean, coded uh, language that you see throughout the book. Um, I, I do
0: like, as we're going to be wrapping up, I want to say in a book that has, you know, armored knights with laser lances, writing on dinosaurs and uh, biological, technological hybrid time travel pods, one scene that is going to stick out with me far more because of the emotional heft of it is Mackenzie and her stepmom, mom uh, And uh, like, like there was just something raw and emotional in that, that felt true to human experience in a way like this whole story is larger than life that grounded it. Having, having moments like that grounds this, strange absurd almost dada-esque genre story um where it's kind of like anything goes but then you get these moments that really do truly ground it and make you care about these characters
1: yeah and it it's like it's pretty dark but then like at the end of it it's like she clearly cares about her stepmom yeah definitely yeah it's it's not
0: necessarily a healthy relationship but it's a strong relationship that's there and they they seem to want the best for each other even if they don't always know how to help each other achieve that right Uh, Any final thoughts about paper girls?
1: No, I think that was it.
0: Andrew. (laughs) I'm good. All right. Well, listeners, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, uh, Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Norman, do you have anything you would like
1: to plug? Uh at the moment, uh no, actually. I think I'm I think I'm all set.
0: For any listeners who have not gone to enjoy it, I will plug your Lord of the Rings minute, which uh could be a small amount of listening pleasure for anyone.
1: <laughs> just a
2: just a tiny bit of listening <laughs> pleasure. A, a simple eight hundred some odd episodes, right?
1: <laughs> uh seven forty-five, I think. <laughs> Where
0: uh you Dissected the Lord of the Rings extended edition films one minute at a time per episode of your podcast.
1: It has uh, long been over at this point. Like it's, it's been three or so years. But, it, but a it's longer.
0: pure evergreen content.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's it sounds like there. it sounds like it's time to go back again. <laughs> oh well, we we talked it. We talked about the Hobbit movies on the on the Patreon. Not, not by minute. Not by minute. We <laughs> we broke those up into two parts each. Right,
0: are you are you going to be uh, tackling the Amazon Lord of the Rings series one minute at a
1: time? <laughs> No, uh, we did a Patreon review of the first season, though. Right. Uh, we did that as well. And whenever the second season comes back, I'm sure we'll do that as well. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to
0: wrap up this episode. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. Sorry, <laughs> okay. sorry, an sorry and
2: I kind of <laughs> left you hanging on that one. I was <laughs> like, uh, blah.
0: yeah, you'll be, able to trip. you'll be able to trim some of the dead space here because I've, I've got it now. Okay. <clears throat>